Good morning. I'm glad to see all of you today. Glad to see and welcome those worshiping with us online as well. Always glad to have you. Have you seen that people are sitting on the front row? I'm so impressed. I tell you, as a preacher, when you see people sitting on the front row, you just want to say, okay, I'm done. I'm going home. That's good. I'm just, I'm pleased with what's going on here. But look around at the people here. You know, there's a gap right here in the middle because the seats, you know, the aisles are so far apart and everybody likes to sit on the end. Did you notice that? Yeah, we do. But listen, it's great. We got people all around. got people in the back. And so I'm glad to see you and hope things are going well for you. Now, we've been talking about reacting. We've been talking about responding. We've been talking about underreacting and not overreacting to certain things. Do you ever underreact? Anybody ever do that? You know, my mom is pretty demonstrative, and, and she'll usually kind of get excited about things. And my dad, when he was living, he would be sitting there, and it would be kind of like this. He would, he would underreact, okay? And so it would be kind of like this. She would say, Joe, the house is on fire. And he would be reading the Wall Street Journal, and he would say, that's nice. You know, it's that kind of approach, right? He was always just kind of even kill, underreacting kind of things. But, you know, sometimes we struggle with that, don't we? We get in situations and people push our buttons and we have a hard time. So last week I told you some stories that I thought were a little humorous. You got time for a story today? Just to get started before we really get into it, I'm just going to tell you a quick story about what happened to me early in my ministry. I was a young man. I went to a new church, and, and I was 29 years old, and I was so thankful to be there, and it was a great opportunity, but we, we didn't get to set anything up. The preacher who started the church, he was just he was serving it for no salary. He just did it as a retired preacher, and, and he kind of got it started. Then he picked me to go there and be the pastor. And then he died abruptly, and so I had to walk in, you know, in that kind of a situation. It was really tough. I didn't have any staff. I didn't even have office furniture. I just had the first little building that they had built, and it was all paid for, and the district had given them some land, and so we were grateful to have it. And people were just falling through the door because they'd been waiting until the church opened, and now it was open, and here I was walking in the door. And, and so this guy would hold up checks every week of, you know, other churches and people who had given them money, and all I did was cost them stuff. They had to pay me, and I needed a place to live, and I needed a chair and a desk, and, and I needed some staff, but I didn't have any at first. And so we had volunteers in the office in the morning. Now, this is back in the mid-1980s, okay? And I want you to understand, in the mid-1980s, some of y'all need to sit down for this information because it's going to shock you, okay? We did not have cell phones. They didn't exist, Okay, we did not have laptops or computers or iPads. They didn't exist. Okay, in the mid '80s, and so this one guy, this this husband, he would come in. It was Walter and Mary Helen Saunders, and Walter would come in and he would work on this thing called the Rolodex. The Rolodex was a list of people that had names and phone numbers and addresses. And so if I wanted to keep up with all these new people joining the church, he would check on it every week and he would update it so I could keep up with it. Then Mary Helen, her job was to answer the phone for me, okay? Now, we, we, got, we finally got uptown. I mean, I talked him into buying a two-line phone system, okay? Not just one line, but two. I know, it's impressive. Okay, so, but it was so cheap that it was not exclusive. What I mean by that is, if I was on line one and somebody else picked up another phone on line one, you could just be in part of the conversation. It was kind of like, you know, a, um, a party line, okay? And so it wasn't exclusive. So I tried to teach Mary Helen to answer the phone, 
And then I said to her, now, when you do that and you want me to get on, push hold. Push the hold button and tell me I've got a call, and then I will take the call, okay? Well, she didn't get it. It went right over her head, okay? And so I was sitting at my desk, and so I could look through the door, and I could see her, and so she would answer the phone. Now, I taught her what to say, and she did what I told her to do. She said what I said. She did not say it exactly the same way I did. She said it as only she could, okay? So what would happen is somebody would call the church, she'd answer the phone, and she would say, Nevada United Methodist Church, about like that, yeah. Talk about a wake-up call. That's the, that's the first contact you have with a new church, and boy, don't you want to have that experience again, right? So that's what she would do, and then instead of pushing hold and telling me I had a call, she would look through the door at me, and she would say, Joe, telephone, just like that, okay? That's, I'm not making this up. It's a miracle we survived. I don't know how we stayed in business. Okay, so that's what she would do. But then she didn't know how to push hold. She did, so when she would hang up, she would just try to hang up, but she didn't always hit it exactly right. So she would make a big mess, you know, and it would make a lot of noise. And it was like, this, this couldn't be any worse. I've got to get somebody in here to help me with this. Okay, so one day I'm in the office. You got this so far? You understand what I'm saying? So one day I'm in the office, the phone rings, she answers the phone, and she says, Nevada United Methodist Church. <laughs> and somebody on the other line says they want to speak to me. And instead of pushing hold, she just looks through the door and she says, Joe, telephone, like that, right? And so, so I'm going, hold, Mary Helen, hold, push the hold, push the hold. She doesn't ever get it. So I pick up the phone, it's line one, and I say, hello. And he says, Hi, Joe, this is. Okay, now when he says this is, when he's about to say his name, she finally gets around to trying to hang the receiver up, and she's still on line one with me, okay? And she doesn't quite hit it, and so it's making a lot of noise, and it's crunch, crunch, crunkle, crankle, crunkle, crankle, you know, that kind of thing. And I can't hear what he's saying. He said, this is, and I go, I don't know who that is. I don't. And he says, how's the weather over there? And I said, fine. How's the weather over there? What are you going to say, right? And so then he said, the reason I'm calling is, and when he says the reason I'm calling is, line two rings, okay? <laughs> However, Mary Helen does not go to line two and answer it. She answers line one. So this is what I get. Joe, the reason I'm calling is, Nevada United Methodist Church. So now I don't know who I'm talking to or why they call me, okay? And he's getting ready to ask me something I've got to explain, and I don't know how I'm going to do that. Now, I told you last week that sometimes people do things, they aggravate you, they frustrate you, it's so difficult. And so what happens is you just, you know, want to take them out back and let them know who's boss, right? But sometimes things are just so funny, all you can do is laugh about it. So I start talking to this guy, and I'm just racking my brain. Who is it? What does he want? Well, then it, it dawns on me, it's a preacher I know, and he's from Mobile, Alabama. And he's a senior minister of this huge church of all the times for him to call. And he's calling me because he's looking for an associate minister. And I've had lunch with his former associate minister last week, and I've talked to that guy, and he said, they're looking for an associate to go to Dolphin Way United Methodist Church in Mobile, Alabama. And so I started naming people, and I said, well, have you talked to so-and-so? Everybody I named, and I named everybody. Everybody I named, he said, we already talked to them. We already talked to them. We already talked to them. 
Well, so then this guy calls, and I think, okay, he's talked to Tim, and he knows about our conversation, and he's just calling me to brainstorm about possibilities. So since I'm just now, I'm slow to catch on to what's going on, I start naming names of people that might be able to go there, right? And then later in the conversation, it actually dawns on me, he's not calling me to ask me for names of other people. He's calling me to see if I want to be the associate. He's already gone through everybody in the conference. He's that desperate. Everybody I know I've named, he couldn't get them to come, so he's gotten to the bottom of the barrel. It's me or nobody by now, right? But the conversation has been such a train wreck, he just finally gives up and hangs up the phone and says, bye, I'll see you later. And so I never got the opportunity to go to Dolphin Way United Methodist Church. I spent the next 20 years at Nevada United Methodist Church. <laughs> but you know what? <laughs> God has a way of working things out, doesn't he? And he blessed me. And, and despite my leadership, the church flourished and grew. And it was a great place to be. And I had a great opportunity. And it was a wonderful experience for me. And I'm just so grateful that God surrounded me with all these lay people and then a great staff. And I was able to just kind of stumble and fumble and make my way and make a lot of mistakes. But he blessed all of it. He just said, you know, I'm just going to use you because I picked you and I'm going to use you and I'm going to use you the way you are and I'm just going to let you be you and I'm going to be me and you won't have to do much. I'll take care of most of it, okay? And you try not to get in the way. That's what I spent 20 years doing, just trying not to get in the way. So here's what I want to ask you today. I want to tell you another quick story about a kindergarten teacher who said to her children, I want you to draw something that's really special to you. And so the children started drawing. The teacher walked around. She started looking at the pictures they were drawing. And she looked down at this one little girl. And, man, she was intently drawing. She didn't even look up. And she said, honey, what are you drawing? And the little girl said, I'm drawing a picture of God. And the teacher said, that's wonderful. But, you know, honey, nobody knows what God looks like without missing a beat, this little girl said. They will when I get through with this picture. <laughs> And you know, the Bible says a little child shall lead them. And it's that a childlike faith that they say the things that we wish we'd said. And they do the things that we wish we'd done. And they live with that kind of faith to believe that God can do anything. And so today there are a lot of people who don't know much about God. What do they do? They look at you and me. And they hear us talk about God. And they hear us say how much we love him. But when they see us, what kind of picture are we drawing? What do they see? And today I want to talk about that. I want to talk about how God puts us in situations where he gives us opportunities to do some great things. But you know what? We're so scared. We're so fearful. Do you know why we're fearful? because we're focused on ourselves. When I went to that new church, this guy, this senior minister, this retired guy, he was like the godfather of the whole conference. He, he was the guy that they elected first to, as, to the delegation to lead everybody else. He was the guy that got two guys elected bishop, and he worked behind the scenes, and then he picks me to go there. 
He's the guy that's not taking any salary, and he's retired, and he's collecting money from everybody, and then I show up, and he has a heart attack and dies, and I have to walk in and follow that. And now I, I need to be set the church up, and, and I'm so overwhelmed and so intimidated. And I feel like, you know, God has put me in this position, and I went where all the young preachers wanted to go. And I felt like, you know, Red had done so much for the church, and he was counting on me, and all these preachers in the conference who had gone into the ministry under him and who were sending money to the church. It was like I was under a microscope, and everybody was watching me, and I just self-imposed so much pressure. And it was in the hardest time that I learned something. And that is that when God puts us in situations to do something, he's not asking us to have confidence in ourselves because we can't do it. <laughs> he's saying you need to have confidence in me because I can do anything. You just trust me. You just take my hand. You just go every day with me and spend time with me, and we'll just walk together. And I'll make this easy because I can do anything. And I'm not looking for somebody who's equipped. God doesn't call equipped people, but he equips the people he calls. And he takes you right where you are, just like you are, with all your faults and failures, with all your doubts, with, with all the things that you use for an excuse. And he says, no, it's going to be okay because i got something in mind, and this is what I want to do, and I've chosen you to do it. And you don't have to be a preacher to be put in a situation like that. You, you just have to be a Christian. And as a Christian, God's going to give you all kinds of divine appointments and all kinds of heavenly assignments, and he's going to put you in situations you never thought you were going to be in, and he's going to ask you to do things you never thought you could do and you still don't think you can do. And he's going to say, yeah, I want to use you. You know why? Because other people are watching you, and they can relate to you because you're real and you're human, and they are real and they're human. And so today I just want to ask you, what kind of picture are you drawing? Do you have confidence in God? One of the members of the church, a buddy of mine, texted me this week. <clears throat> he said, I've been listening to your sermons. Last Sunday your sermon helped me in a, in a situation I'm dealing with right now. And it helped me not to overreact. I was so grateful that he shared that with me because that's my hope. That's my desire is that it, it does something for you. It makes a difference this week. And you take it with you and you use it. And I heard about a mom who was trying to do the same thing. She was trying to underreact to all situations. She took her son to the dentist, and he, he was not known for oral hygiene, okay? And she took him, and, and the, the, the dental assistant came out, the dental hygienist came out, and she wrote a note, and she tried to, to express this to this woman, this mom, delicately. And she said, he has, and she wrote out the number in all capital letters. He has seven, seven cavities. And the mom has just been focused on trying to underreact and not overreact. And she's literally saying under her breath, underreact, 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 underreact. And she walks with her son out to the car, and, and she calmly says, well, what do you think about that? And her son looks at her, and he says, well... I think I got a wake-up call. And that could have been handled a whole lot differently and might not have been as productive as it probably was because she didn't overreact like I might. 
but rather she underreacted because she was focused on it. So what happens if you and I focus on it? What happens if we try to be like Jesus and not allow people to push our buttons because of our Heavenly Father? He looked at us, and he could say, you know what, because of your sin, because of the way you choke all the time, because of this or that, you know, I'm just going to give up on you. But he doesn't. He loves us, and he forgives us, and he sends his son to die for us. And so what I want us to see is the name of this message is your move. It's your move. It's my move. It's our move. Reactions speak louder than words. And the way that God gives us opportunities every day is he gives us these opportunities where people try to push our buttons. And when we react not like the world, but like God, it's uncommon. And it gets people's attention. And they go, well, there's something special there. And I've never seen that before. How can they do that? And so, you know, how do you underreact to the unexpected and the counterintuitive and the remarkable? We must learn to master the unexpected, unprecedented, underreaction. Actions speak louder than words, and reactions speak louder than either, and they tell the whole story. So what does your story tell? What is your picture that you're drawing today? What do you show other people? When people look at you, do they say, she should be angry, but she's not angry. He should be bitter, but he's not bitter. They should be broadcasting to everyone what happened to them and how they were treated, but they're not doing that. What's going on with them? I've never seen anybody do that. And the underreaction is so uncommon that it makes the world sit up and take notice. And so whatever the criticism or the rejection or the hurt or disappointment, all of those things that happen are going to be opportunities. It's going to be our chance to step up. It's going to be God saying, okay, I'm going to put you right under the spotlight, and I'm going to give you a chance to be my witness. And I know you love me, and I know you want to. And listen, if you'll just do this, you'll help somebody else, and they'll see it, and they'll see me and you if you'll just do it faithfully. And even though we don't know how to do it, and even though we're scared, and, and even though we fail and we struggle, he just picks us up again and says, let's try it again. And the disappointments and the hurts in life and the losses that we experience, it's just a way to, to reconfirm our confidence in God. This morning in my devotional, I was reading about Moses, and it seems like lately that there's just this theme about confidence in God, confidence in God. And so this morning I was reading, and of course God came to Moses, and he said, Moses, I want you to go tell the Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses said, you got the wrong guy. I can't do I can't even talk right. I, I stutter. I, I stammer. I, I'm not a spokesperson. Listen, there's plenty of people who can do a much better job than me. Get somebody. And he comes up with all these excuses why he can't do it, right? And God says, no, no, I want you. I picked you. You're the one. You're the one I'm going to use to do this. And finally, he lets him take his brother along with him for moral support to kind of be a spokesperson. He tells his brother what to say. His brother says it. But he's really God's man. And he feels so underqualified. And he's just overwhelmed by the whole thing. Because, why? Because he's looking at himself. He's got confidence in himself and it's a lack of confidence that he has in himself. But it's when you and I flip the switch and stop looking at our faults and failures and struggles. 
and we start looking, stop looking at our shortcomings and the things that we don't do well, and we just say, you know what, God, you're in control. You're in charge. It's up to you. If you want me to do that, I don't, I don't know how to do it, but if, if you're calling me to do it and I know it's you, then okay. And I'm just going to let you be the scorekeeper. And I'm just going to trust you. And when somebody is a jerk to me and gives me a hard time, I'm just going to say, God, you got it. And I'm just going to let that go. I don't have to even the score. I don't, I don't have to get revenge. It's not, it's not up to me. It's not my role in life. I'm just supposed to have confidence in you and just be faithful and obedient to what you call me to do. And Peter talks about this. Our reactions reflect our confidence or our lack of confidence in God. And Jesus, he didn't just talk about doing this. He modeled it for us, didn't he? That's what gives us the incentive to know, well, if he can do it in that situation, surely I can do it in my situation. And Peter says this, because he saw it. When they hurled their insults at Jesus, at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Boy, you talk about powerful. That's powerful. He made no threats. Jesus didn't try to get even. He just left that up to the Father. And all he ever tried to do was just be an example of the Father to everybody, and, and that's what he did. And he did it successfully. And the Apostle Paul comes along, and he hears about Jesus, but he's not a Christian. And so he goes out, and he persecutes Christians, and he even has them killed. And he's a zealot, and he's saying, you know, they're trying to, they're trying to do away with my faith and my belief in God and all he ever knew. And so he said, I'm going to fight that because I really believe in God. And it was the God he knew and the way he knew it. And then he learns about a resurrected Jesus and all of a sudden, he becomes a Christian, and it changes everything. See, what happens is when the disciples look at Jesus before the resurrection, they're kind of, okay, we'll follow you, but if it gets tough, I don't know. I don't think so. But after the resurrection, these guys who were afraid when Jesus got crucified and ran away, these guys stood up and said, hey, did you know that Jesus rose from the dead? And I'm going to spend the rest of my life telling everybody who will listen what happened to him. And I don't care. They can kill me if they want to. These guys who were cowards became these great men of faith and women of faith. And they just went out and they started sharing with everybody. And they started telling people about Jesus. And they spent the rest of their lives. And many of them were persecuted and killed because of it. But they said, I don't care because I want them to know. So what happens to Paul when he becomes a Christian? Because he's so wrapped up in the religious leaders of the day, he loses all of his friends. I mean, he doesn't have any friends left. They just shun him now because they think he's gone off the deep end. Can you imagine? You ever, you ever talk to somebody who became a Christian, and, and when they became a Christian, they had one set of friends, and, and those friends didn't want to go that route. And so all of a sudden, overnight, they don't have any friends anymore. Maybe that happened to you. It happened to me when I was growing up, and I had a set of friends, and I hung out with them. But, you know, and I shared with them. I shared the faith with them, but they weren't ready for that. But I didn't know that God was going to give me a whole new set of friends. And that's what he did. And it was those Christian friends that sustained me and helped me through that time. Well, Paul didn't have anything. So he just leaves. He leaves what's familiar. He leaves home. He leaves Judea. He leaves Galilee. And he goes to the Greek-speaking people, the Greek world. He goes around the Mediterranean, the rim there. And he starts telling them 
about what happened. He becomes the first missionary and the first church planter. And he goes out and all kinds of things happen to him. He risks his life and he's beaten up and he's stoned and they leave him for dead and he's shipwrecked and he's bitten by a poisonous snake. I mean, I, f I started following God and look what's happened to me, you know. You would expect some good things to happen, but all kinds of bad things are happening. And then he gets back to Jerusalem and, and how do the old people that he knew welcome him back? I mean, they should have had a parade for him and welcomed him and thanked him for all that he had accomplished. And he came back into town and, and they said, hey, thanks for the big offering because he brought him back a big offering from the people that he had spoken to and, and witnessed to and told. And they said, but listen, you're shunned here and you need to leave. And they arrest him and they send him to Rome and he's in prison. And so his life is unbelievable. And with all this rejection and disappointment and frustration, he just keeps sharing the faith with all of his heart because here's what happens. When our, when our love for God moves from our heads to our hearts, it makes all the difference because now we're not just talking about a theory. We really believe something. Followers of Jesus are not just believers of Jesus. They are followers of Jesus. And so as a follower, I'm going to follow Jesus, and that's not going to be easy, and people aren't going to understand. And so Paul writes in Romans, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, here's what I want you to hear me say today, please. I want you to hear me say, when a lot of people read that, they misunderstand it. And they look at it and they say, does this mean that everything that happens is good? No, no, it's not. Does this mean if I become a Christian that there won't be any more bad days? No. Does this mean that, that I'll be just removed from any difficult times or hardship? Or No, it doesn't. It doesn't mean that at all. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying that in all things, God works. And there's a difference. God takes the bad. And he turns it into something good. He's done it for me. He's done it for you. You know what I'm talking about. And it, it looked like it was really bad. And it looked like, man, I wish this didn't happen. And God takes it and he goes, well, you know, I'm going to redeem that. I'm going to take something bad and I'm going to use it for something good because it's not about you. It's really about who you can be a witness to because people are watching you and me all the time, aren't they? So what kind of picture? Are we drawing? What are we showing them about our faith in God? Is it real? And all the things that happen, all the disappointing things, all the surprising things, all the difficult things, God still works. And he works for the good of those who love him. So Paul is just talking to people, and he's trying to help them understand, listen, I'm just trying to respond like my heavenly father their responds because I want you to know him. And he said, I'm, he said, I'm not confident in myself. I'm confident in God. And I'm going to him, to him. I'm going to trust him and believe him. him. You, know, you know, God looks at you and me from his, from his perspective. It doesn't look too good, too good because we cause worse. And even when he picks, when he picks, he fall back, fall back. And we just and we just look all the all the make mistakes, and it says even still, God loves us. I mean, He really, He really loves us. 
And it takes forever to embrace that, to really believe that, to not let other people tell you differently and believe it. If we don't hear anything else I say today, I want you to know he really does love you because people don't always believe that he does. And then in Romans, Paul says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? It doesn't matter what the world says about you. It doesn't matter what people around you think of you. It doesn't matter what, what you've been taught all your life, and maybe it was not positive. It doesn't matter because if God is for you, who can be against you? He's God. Nobody else is going to be able to win. And so, you know, I've got God on my side. I, you know, I can, I can face anything with him. If God is for me, who can be against me? And so today you're sitting here, and maybe you're going through a tough time. I mean, a really tough time. And you're struggling. And you came today looking for answers, and you need help. And you're thinking, you know, God... I'm not sure you see my situation. I just want to tell you that the Apostle Paul went through some really tough things too. And that Jesus really went through some tough things. But here's the good news. That means they understand. That means they know what it's like. Jesus understands. He knows what it's like. There's nothing you're going to go through that he doesn't understand. And what's more important is he still loves you. He still cares. He keeps up with the details of your life. You are a, a project for him that he's just going to keep working with. He's never going to give up. If God is for us, who can be against us? And so before we give up on this whole idea, I want us to understand that Romans says, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, all of us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? You see, if God sent his son to die, he's invested in us, and he's not going to give up on us because he gave the most precious thing he had. And if he's done that for us, we can count on him. You know how we can know that? I'm going to tell you, it's real simple. All we got to do is look at the cross. Just look at Jesus on the cross. You look at Jesus on the cross, you go, yeah, he loves me. He loves me. And I'm going to put my confidence in him. And that's why the early church gathered. And that's why they had community, because they began to realize we are not alone. We're not doing this on our own. We're not just going through the motions. God is with us, and he's got a mission for us, and he's trying to reach a lost world, and he's going to let us participate. And all we got to do is look at the cross. And then we see that not everything that happens in life is lovely, but God is still there with us on our behalf. And Paul was in jail, and when he was in a hole in the ground, and when he was shipwrecked, and when he was stoned and left for dead, and when he was abandoned by all of his friends, he would say, you know what? I didn't focus on any of that. I wasn't looking at the circumstances. I didn't spend a lot of time saying, man, ever since I started following God as a Christian, life has gotten worse. He just said, I kept focusing on God. 
My confidence is in God. My salvation is in God. My future is in God. So that's the one I need to focus on. I don't need to pay attention to these other things. And he finishes this way. And throughout the book of Romans, Paul is saying that Jesus invited us to refer to God as our heavenly Father. And when you're in your darkest, loneliest, worst moment, you can be sure that he is there. He will never abandon you. He will never give up on you. He will never write you off. And so you're sitting there listening to me and you're saying, let me get this straight. Uh, do you know what it's really like in the real world out there, Joe? We're not talking about preacher world here. We're talking about reality. Uh, this doesn't really work. I'm not even going to try to do this because you don't know what it's like out there. You mean I'm supposed to entrust my career and my money and my family and my kids to an invisible God, and then I'm just supposed to do what he wants me to do and not worry about it? Is that what you're saying? I can't believe that's right. That's just ridiculous. That's passive and weak. I don't want to do that. I live in the real world. And if you're thinking that today, let me just push back gently for just a moment. And let me say, well, if you're thinking that it is ridiculous, then go ahead and worry. And when things don't go your way, go ahead and react. Be loud and proud and demand your way and blow up and sulk and be depressed and try to manipulate things and pout and live your life like there's no personal God, like he doesn't really care. Take on the responsibility for the outcome of everything. Everything in your life, the people around you, everything that you want to see happen, you just take on all that responsibility on yourself and you just wake up every day with that. But if it gets to be too much, then there's a standing invitation from your Savior. And here's what he says. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why? Why is his yoke easy and his burden light? Because he doesn't expect us to carry it by ourselves. He says, you come on and team up with me. I'll do the heavy lifting. <laughs> you just hang around. And together, we'll see God's will accomplished. All you have to do is say yes. Just put your confidence in God. And every time somebody tries to push your buttons, just see that as an opportunity. And say, Lord... I don't want to fail. It's too important. It makes a difference in all eternity. Help me to do the right thing for you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that right now that you would peel back any resistance of anyone here struggling to accept this concept. And God, I pray that you would give them wisdom and that you would en enable them to see that they can just hand all these things back to you and you will carry it for them. Help us 
to react in such a way that people in the world today will look at us and it will be so uncommon that they will get a glimpse of what you're really like and they will embrace you. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And most of all, Lord, give us the courage to respond to our Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said,